I really liked becoming an SRC and my highlight for being one was just designing the new playground. It was really well designed because we approved on most of the design. Really important making decisions for the college because it's really well happy because you know that you're making the college a better place and more important and popular. Welcome to this special series on owner agency, a defining feature in the emerging future of schools. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and in this collaboration between The Learning Future and the Association of Independent Schools of South Australia, we orbit 10 lessons shared by global education expert, Charlie Ledbeater. This is episode eight, Strategies for Innovation and Change. An enormous amount of work, of course, whenever we use the word strategy or innovation and change, Charlie, ground us conceptually in what we're talking about when we consider this topic. Well, I think all the schools involved in this project have been almost sort of natural innovators. Um, innovation is often misunderstood. It's often thought to be about new technology or young people doing incredible things with t-shirts and hoodies and garages and accelerators and actually what these schools have shown is that innovation is about creating new ways to work and new ways to create value in often existing circumstances in the context of um, an existing school and so um, it's not necessarily about new technology it's not necessarily about doing entirely new things um, what it is about is what the schools have done is uh, I think really brilliantly is being able to go focus in on a problem in the classroom in the school and then take themselves out again to see wider perspectives and to see a larger world and they've created um, new approaches which have been very practical so they've been both creative and practical they've both been open to new thinking and develop new thinking and being very open to ideas but also very disciplined mm -hmm. so innovation is this sort of constant process of going in and out or kind of taking different perspectives and then focusing down and going from a wider view to a much sort of narrower view and I think that by having the lab which has provided them with every few months a, a, a kind of forum in which they can share, reflect, go out, take wider perspectives and then go back into the school. The school has become the place where they've experimented, innovated, developed and they've done that I think crucially by really focusing on the experience of students and really keying in on the experience of students and really sort of in a way scaling down into student experience as one of the sort of generative um, creative sources but they've also gone if you like as well as scaling down they've scaled in the middle they've gone middle out they've been very interested in teachers as innovators as creating new practice creating new experiences they've also i think innovated in the way they think about what they're for and their philosophy so they've innovated at different kinds of levels they've gone deep into student experience they've thought hard about the practice of teachers they've re-articulated their sense of purpose um, and i suppose the fundamental thing final thing is that <clears throat> innovation is all about teams it's all about collaboration it's all about bringing together different people and i think these schools show that really innovation comes from organizations that are like a creative community joined in a cause so if you can create that sense of community that we're a community of discovery if you like together and the school has to see itself as a community of discovery then that really um that's really where innovation comes from and that's, I think, what these schools are on a journey to try and develop from having a team or a year group or, you know, a discipline as a creative community to the whole school embracing that. So it's been very much real world innovation by real world practitioners trying to develop real world solutions um, for students to work better. That's a brilliant start, Charlie. And I think some themes that we'll pick up in our conversation, you know, bottom up, middle out, strategic top led, you know, the idea of where do we start and where do we pivot and persevere. 
but as you say, you know, this is not a theoretical conversation. We've got four wonderful practitioners and colleagues here in the room, all to share their stories about, you know, what are the strategies and what have they tried to use in terms of driving innovation and change. And so we'd love each of you to introduce yourselves and then let's get into the conversation. Okay. Hi, I'm Louisa Mulligan. I'm the Director of Middle Years at Endeavour College. Thanks for being here, Louisa. Thank you. Hi, I'm Tracy Wallace. I'm the Service Learning Coordinator at Scotch College. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, hello, my name is John. I'm Head of Junior School at Tatatilla Lutheran College. Hi, I'm Sharon Cox. I'm an English and History teacher and the Head of House at Walford Anglican School for Girls. Welcome to the four of you. Thank you for coming here to the studio after a day of doing the work you do in schools. Uh, Sheridan, let's start with you. And this will be a question we would love to hear from each of you about. You know, Char you've, heard, you've heard Charlie kind of ground some of the ideas here. Where did you start on this journey of change and innovation? Sheridan, we'll go with you first. Thanks, Luca. So we were excited because our principal sent out an invitation to join this agency lab. And there was quite a lot of interest from staff for this. And the team that we landed on was a group of six teachers. There were at the time two heads of house as part of that group. Um, but what we found interesting was that our mandate as teachers was not explicit, explicitly in curriculum implementation or change or innovation. So as heads of house, um, the ladies in those roles were wellbeing leaders. Right. And so, when we started looking for an area to focus on for our project, we started thinking about how perhaps we could look at wellbeing and agency and the, we settled on the effort grade that mm. we had at mm. Walford, which gets reported on each term. Um, and we were thinking about how the effort grade could be changed and adapted to look at instead of evaluating this amorphous quantity of effort, no. could it be grounded in the way students can be agents of their own learning? But we had a, to pivot after we came to that decision because we realised that in order to assess something, you have to be making sure that you're explicitly teaching it and you're collecting data that's being able to be assessed for it. And so we had to change focus after that and be quite flexible instead to start looking at how we can make sure that students know and have confidence to use the skills that they need to be able to be agents of their own learning. Mm -hmm. And so it was really stepping outside the boundaries of our roles at the time. But what's been interesting is over the process, over the three years, we've seen a number of our team members actually use what they've done in the agency lab to develop their own professional careers as well. Because as they've started to make change, mm -hmm. We've seen internal promotions happen through that. I love that, Sheridan. You know, this being lesson eight, you know, there's been many themes that have been, you know, picked up in previous conversations about agency not being about students solely, mm -hmm. but actually about the entire kind of community of, of human beings, um, which is wonderful. John, let's come to you. Give us a bit of a sense as well about, you know, where did you start on this journey, particularly around the strategies that you used? Um. I've reflected on how we started in, in uh, terms of the team. Um, listening to Sheridan uh, talk about her team, we had the principal, uh, the three heads of the schools, junior, middle and senior, and the assistant heads of schools. So it was very um, top-heavy. And in terms of um, traction uh, to bring about innovation and change, um, I did believe it was a bit of a hindrance um, because the real traction is in the classroom uh, with uh, teachers and students who have, you know, I guess, permission to try things and, mm -hmm. and to, uh, to um, have a go, um, whereas the leaders set the strategic direction. Um, they don't have a, a great deal of a role in terms of actually bringing it uh, to life, so everyone has a role in that mm. at the various levels in the school. But I think um, if we'd um, had yeah less of the leaders who are all thrilled and excited to be involved uh, and keen to be involved, uh, more people who actually uh, have the coalface, uh, we would have had more change, uh, perhaps uh, more quickly. That's an interesting reflection. Um, John, so let's put a let's put a yeah a little signpost there to come back to that as well. 
around how we might structure um, changes, Charlie, depending on context. Tracy, what about your journey there at Scotch? Well, firstly, Charles, I was delighted at your introduction because two terms, you know, really struck me. Um, just being innovative, not just linking to technology, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then the whole collaboration around community, um, because I actually see be, being innovative and creating change as my remit um, as service learning coordinator, because I believe that service allows cross-campus collaboration as well as collaboration with the wider community. Um, so basically bringing the outside in and the inside out, and I'll provide examples yeah, when yeah. I'm given the opportunity to do so. Um, but at Scotch, our service learning, well, our, our student agency team worked from the middle out. So we had a team of you know, five, six team leaders. So we looked at ways which we could build opportunities for agency um, in our inquiry curriculum frameworks and live well, which is the college wellbeing framework. So basically, we provide an opportunity um, and shared with staff and invited others to share um, opportunities that exist for, for learner agency. And we motivated ourselves to feel confident um, and, you know, go ahead and exercise agency. So basically, we're looking um, at providing a high agency environment to foster, mm. you know, student agency, obviously, um, and enable students to be leaders and, you know, be thoughtful leaders, contribute, be at the table from the, the outset um, to create the environment in which they want to learn. That's great, Tracy, and I'm excited to hear all those examples as well as we as we delve into it. Uh, Louisa, let's close out with you. Give us a sense again of, of your journey and, and what's, you know, the strategy is where did you start in terms of the team? Well, our journey started with our principal, so it was very much a top-down um, approach because it involved the principal, myself as director of middle years, um, the director of learning and the director of senior years. So, you know, it was very much a top-down approach, but it had to be that way because our journey was very much around our school culture mm-hmm. and philosophy. And for that reason, it would impact anything we did was going to have an impact on every child in the school and every staff member. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't really rely on a small uh, satellite team somewhere in the school to do that. We really had to take responsibility for that. Um, we knew that whatever we worked on had to sit with, like, within our already very, very strong Vision for Learners framework, which had just been reviewed right. as we started the project and on our values education framework at Endeavour as well. So we started by identifying uh, what we already had in place that we loved and valued and and wanted to, I guess, add value to. And that was our vision for learners and the ACARA personal and social capability. So they were our two go-tos. Our aim was to enable every child in the school to be better able to reflect on and articulate their personal and social capability skills, their characteristics, their dispositions, their attitudes as learners. Mm. We wanted them all to be able to reflect uh, more deeply um, in a, I guess, in a more considered, knowledgeable way, the direction and the growth that they were seeing in themselves. Mm. Um, And a little bit like Sheridan said, they were looking at their effort grade. Um, We were a little bit similar. That was sort of our, our area of focus was you know, if we stopped our students at any point, could they tell us uh, where their growth is at the moment, what their learning goals are, what their objectives are, um, how independent they are, how interdependent they are? So we um, so we built our work around those things and that goal. So our three uh, vision for learners uh, principles are independence, interdependence and collective action, and all of our work is based on that. All of our agency work connects to that. Um, and so our, our key starting point was to work with developing our own language in the school. So we looked at the personal and social capability from ACARA and we used that and our own vision for learners to create 12 characteristics and dispositions um, and a capability language that our students could understand and work with. Mm-hmm. So that was our starting point. Wonderful. Charlie, I want to come to you here. I mean, some really interesting insights around the, kind of the the key role of leaders to enable work to take place in a school, I think has come up as a common theme here. And so that idea of a starting point, but also the idea of the process, you know, and even from a service perspective, it's, you know, what's the process of learning that we really want to tap into, you know, like things that we articulate as effort, but, you know, is there a better way of understanding that in terms of the conditions required to create agency? So what are your reflections on on kind of the starting point? Because, you know, one of your great questions is who starts and where do we start? And in schools, gosh, it seems like you could start anywhere at any point in time. So, yeah, what are your reflections here? 
Yeah, one of the things is I'm almost tempted to say you can start anywhere if you start with the right ambition um, and actually you can turn anything into an opportunity for innovation. I think schools are very good at spotting where to start or if they learn that they'd slightly started in the wrong place, how to kind of flex it. But it's very interesting that both uh, Louisa at Endeavour and Sheridan at Walford talk about sort of starting with um, existing things. So you don't start with something entirely fresh. There's no blank sheet here. Um, that doesn't exist. Um, you can't just, I mean, for some, one of the schools, youth, it is a blank sheet. It's a new school, but most schools, you're starting with something existing. And what was really interesting, sort of following the story and seeing the development of Sheridan's team at Walford was starting with this really amorphous, vague, but deeply embedded thing effort and and starting to work through that what does that mean and so if we want to unpack it and then how do students get better at it and so they took something really rather everyday and traditional and they used it by interrogating it and working with it and stretching it and to they turned it into something much more fundamental um, and I think Wolford was a really good example of where a, a senior principal sort of enabled a team to be really innovative. So she played a really important role, but um, by enabling a team of practitioners to come together. So the second thing is this sense of team, of collaboration, as Tracy said, choosing something where you're going to be more likely to get collaboration between different players and um, making that work. And it's been really pleasing um, to see that. Um, and then Louisa kind of very much kind of, you know, that Endeavour and, and John at Tatachilla is sort of the absolute inevitability that you have to have top leaders buy in energy and all the rest of it. But if it just stays there, it goes nowhere. Um, so you have to find a way of sort of parlaying that and translating it into uh, what others uh, are doing and particularly into teacher practice. Um, and then if it gets embedded in teacher practice, it can spread more laterally, I suppose. So actually, Louise is talking about a process that where you try and change the entire culture of a school. Um, and that can only really happen laterally. It can't happen top down because you don't get that sort of build up. Um, but again, in, in Endeavour's case, um, they start with two existing things. Uh, an ACARA framework and their own vision for learners and they bring those together in a way that then starts to create a new thing so often innovation is about this process of recombination it's not a not pure invention it's and it's a process of following things through where is this really going to lead us and if we want to um, really follow it through and, and make it real what would that take so it's very much a, a story of innovation as a sort of very practical recombination, problem-solving, exploration, experimentation in the real world, trusting real-world practitioners uh, to do it, and coming up with solutions that work, and if they don't work, pivoting and trying a different approach. That's fantastic, Charlie. Um, uh, Sharon, we'll go back to you. Just to take us a bit further into this story, um, and feel free to link in any kind of challenges which you know cause us to pivot because we get stuck we find out we discover something um but yeah just to give us a bit more sense of how have you as charlie said really enabled some real innovation to take place in these teams yeah thank you it's been interesting because our wonderful principal rebecca clark gave us as teachers the agency to really take control of the situation and by enabling us in that way we had that thrilling but also slightly terrifying challenge that we want to be able to instill in our girls themselves. And so we had to embrace that in the same way that we want our students to embrace it. And that did mean that sometimes we did have to take a little bit of time to find our feet or sit in those moments of discomfort mm. where you don't quite know where it's going and you're you're feeling like there's no end in sight and just have confidence in the process and in the team that had come together, a team that was quite diverse because we had teachers right from our junior school um, 
all the way through the middle and senior schools as well, across a range of different faculties, to feel like we've been entrusted with this sort of baby yeah. and we can actually make something really powerful happen with it. And so one of the things that we talked quite a lot about as overcoming one of the challenges was looking at building kind of a bridge between the philosophy of our world of learning principles, mm -hmm. which had been collaboratively constructed by staff the year prior to this project beginning, and turning that into this tangible practice that was happening every day in classrooms. And that's how we've sort of morphed into that explicit teaching mm -hmm. and using the particular thinking routines and strategies that overarchingly we're calling our apps or the applied learning principles. And that goes with the cards that mm. we've created that I think my colleagues spoke within a few episodes back. Yeah. But one of the challenges that we faced was that we have over 125 years of success at Walford, in particular in academic excellence. And so we have a very experienced staff who know what they're doing and do it very well. Mm. And so coming with this notion of we needed to build a change narrative and have a case for change. And that tied into some of the things that we've been noticing in students. Um, and so one of the first things that we had done as a team was we had a focus group mm. with a range of students from the junior school up to the senior school. And we had this really beautiful moment when we asked the junior school girls, who's responsible for your learning? Overwhelmingly, they all said, I am, I am, it's me. And then... When you ask the senior school girls, so if year 11 and 12 girls, who we had selected for the focus group, thinking that these are the students who display agencies, we want right. their answers, right. they all said, it's my teacher. Right. They're responsible for my learning. It's up to them. And in the middle school, we had about a 50-50 mix between everybody yeah. saying, oh, a bit of the teacher but a bit of us. But what was fascinating was that then at the beginning of this year, after we we're almost you know, coming into the final year of this project, and we had this wonderful moment where our ducks of the school came back to address the cohort at the beginning of this year, and her speech to the school was grounded in all of these ideas of agency that we had been pushing with her and with that entire cohort for the entirety of last year. And so she came back and she said that the learning is about you and the liability to do well is with you. Mm. And so you have to take responsibility for it. So it was really affirming. That's fantastic. Um, Charlie, I just want to put a marker there. This like, one side, you know, radical innovation, the other side, you know, strong orthodoxy and tradition. You know, it seems sometimes seems quite a difficult um, piece to proceed through, but let's let's get to that. John, any comments from you as well in terms oh, of the story? I love hearing uh, about the junior school girls <laughs> taking uh, responsibility for their learning and um, uh, you wonder what happens um, over the years uh, where they, you know, they, they have a different view of that. But so, yeah, go junior school um, <laughs> for us. And what also what I liked um, hearing about from Geraldine was that they had one uh, approach, one project um, across the school and uh, coupled with our very top-heavy team um, of uh, strong personalities and strong leaders, we ended up with three projects. Right. Um, and I think... Um, uh, we needed one wider target to, to aim for rather than everybody going off to their sub-schools. And so we um, junior schools looking at play, the middle school had um, something to do with assessment and the senior school, uh, the capabilities. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a missed opportunity to really bring uh, the college together around uh, the idea of agency. And while there's been success um, uh, to varying degrees within each sub-school uh, yeah. for their project. Um, I think um, the, the challenge, uh, it, we created a challenge for ourselves in, in that rather than uh, coming together. Mm. So that you know, that's, tells you something about, I think, the people on the team to some degree, you know, all wanting to the, the best for their school and having uh, strong ideas. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, Exactly, and and kind of valuing the expertise that might exist, and saying, you know, it's this this tension between coherence, you know, and convergence and divergence, and the idea of that 
that would be interesting to unpack as well. With for something that it was so new to us, and uh, uh, even coming to grips with what agency yeah. is, um, uh, I think yeah, it, we would have been better off uh, taking a different approach. Mm, interesting mm. reflections, um, Tracy. I want to bring you in here as well. The service learning piece. Um, Actually, give us a little bit more of an understanding about what that actually looks like. Is it co-curricular? You know, the inside, outside. I'm interested in hearing your it's, examples. It's, all, it's, all, it's really all the above. So my role is from, you know, ELC, involving ELC kids all the way up to year 12. And I'll actually speak specifically about an example of that now. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, I tuned very much into what Charles said when he said you can turn anything into opportunity. That resonates really well with me. So when I speak about specific examples within service learning, or, you know, the agencies, groups challenge themselves. Obviously, you know, the immediate thing we want to think about is time. When do we have time? Yeah. But fortunately, you know, participating in this, this lab allowed time to get staff together, et cetera. So we had that all timetable in. But um, the other hegemonic structure in place is timetable. So, when I, you know, when I speak about root level service learning or, you know, student agency projects, um, obviously it is now two campuses. So that's, you know, the next level of complexity. But I don't want to focus on the issues because, I believe that bells are not going to impinge on student agency projects that are innovative. Mm. If people have a shared goal, a shared vision, you can just, I just see them as hurdles. I just keep saying to my mm. colleagues, let's just jump those hurdles, jump through those hoops. Um, you know, we'll just get around that. Now, one example was, you know, obviously we've all been, you know, living through the pandemic. Mm. And I really felt quite guilty as a service learning coordinator, being excited at the opportunities that myself and my students could see that COVID brought along. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. continuous. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, we still had some students attending school and within the year eight science class, we had students say, oh, what can we do? What can we do for the greater community? So we tapped into uh, Hutt Street Centre, mm -hmm. which is um, a centre that provides, you know, support for people experiencing homelessness. And they were putting wellbeing packs together um, and they needed hand sanitizer. So what do you do in science? You make hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example. Uh, another example I'll touch on is, during COVID, our middle school leaders, we've got 16 middle school year nine leaders, and normally pre-COVID, they'd get together in small little groups and work on projects individually. But COVID brought along this concept of let's all work together in one group. Mm. And the students decided they wanted to focus on environmental sustainability. So they looked for grants, they applied for a Green Adelaide grant, were awarded it. And the idea behind was to establish a native nursery on the Scotch campus, and they involved students from ELC all the way to year 12. So basically, they looked at, you know, project management. They had all these cycles. They divided themselves into groups, um, you know, based on their passions, their interests. They aligned to the sustainable development goal, um, goal number 15, which is life on land. Um, and basically, they wanted to create opportunities for environmental service, um, build connection uh, within the college, across the campuses, and with community um, from ELC to 12, and also develop their own skills, their own capabilities as leaders. And that was just amazing to see. That was absolute student agency through and through. It's fantastic. That's just one example. Uh, the examples really just enrich, I think, all the ideas, don't they? It just it becomes so practical. And, you know, to be provocative, I sometimes think that those kinds of learning experiences, it's it's sometimes in the way that we've inherited the school system, they're the exception. You know, and really this whole piece around agency is, well, how do they become the norm? You know, really, yeah, I mean, that's it. And well, you are creating it now, it's clear. So that's wonderful. Um, Louise, anything else you want to add to this particular question around, you know, the challenge set that, you know, the strategy kind of that emerged and how you had to pivot or anything else that came up? Yeah, we, um, it seemed to us that we had a fairly clear, not so complex goal but it had to scale to the whole school, which was, I guess, that was the complexity. Mm -hmm. um, so we really focused on profiling. And the challenge for us was how do we actually enable our students to understand themselves and their personal and social capabilities or their vision for learners, as we call them? Um, how do we get them to have the language to be able to articulate their own development and growth, where they're at in their journey as learners and as people? Um, how do we do that? So we... Uh, uh, we were very mindful of Charlie's earlier advice around not trying to perfect the plan. Just jump in and try something. Mm. And while you're trying it, that's when you, you know, you, you create your ideas on the fly in a way yeah. or you refine them on the fly. That 
goes against everything a teacher <laughs> normally <laughs> does, right? So the control freaks that we are, yeah. um, that was quite difficult for us to embrace, but we really, really embraced it um, as best we could. So our question was, our challenge was not um, how do we uh, not go too quickly, was how do we not go too slowly? Because the, the temptation there was to, to plan and plan and plan and research and plan and refine and revise and make sure that the whatever it was we were going to do with this profiling was perfect before we rolled it out. And we had to let that go. Mm. So we let that go and we said, no, we don't have the digital technology that we want. We don't know where to get it. A piece of paper will be great. Let's just start. Let's just do what we can do because the philosophy was more important than the, I guess, the process. It, well, not necessarily the process, but the philosophy and the culture of it was more important than the method necessarily. Mm. So um, so we did. So we created paper profiling tools. Great. We don't want to keep them forever. Yeah, yeah. But we decided, well, let's just start the process. Let's get our kids learning about this. Let's get our staff involved in, in this shift in our cultural ideas around what students can and should be doing mm. um, because the, we felt that the impact on the students was too great to wait too long to, yeah. to start. So... Oh. That was our greatest challenge was not being too slow about it. Yeah. it's yeah. That, And I mean, I, I think it's probably a common challenge for everybody, mm-hmm. for all large systems, all industries, particularly right now, um, without getting too big picture, Charlie. I mean, there's so much for you to pick up on there. Um, I mean, it takes back to lesson five, you know, who are we as teachers? What's the role of a teacher? I mean, and I think, Louisa, you're just talking about your prototyping effectively, you know, yeah. this idea of how do we use this kind of design process to kind of, speed up innovation. So Charlie, what's your reflections? Well, let me just pick up on two things really. I mean, actually one one thing with two bits to it. It's all these um, teachers, leaders uh, are talking about how to change within existing schools with strong structures, with existing frameworks, using inherited tools. And what they're showing, which is really important, is you can innovate within that. Um, It is possible to do that. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. Um, And just a couple of things that sort of stand out, I suppose. One is um, Sheridan's story about, you know, working within this very strong culture. I remember when Walford first arrived and there was this very strong sense of we're a school with a very strong academic perspective and, you know, we've got all this weight of history. So there's a, in, no, in one sense, there's this enormous burden of history, but also an enormous sort of asset, I suppose. And what I think Walford did brilliantly was sort of almost show how you could use the culture, aspects of the culture to raise questions about it, to follow through with those questions and get it to change. Um, And so there's this dilemma, isn't there, about, well, what do you do when you go to strong culture? Do you just try and go around it, but that risks being marginalised by it? Do you take it on directly, that risks sort of confrontation? Or do you find a way of sort of almost infiltrating yourself within it to start changing it from within? And I think that's what Wolford did really brilliantly. And a lot of these schools, I think, are sort of radical traditionalists. They're both quite traditional and yet also prepared to ask radical questions. And the questions come from really addressing the students. They come back to what's the experience for the students and being prepared to be led by that. And wasn't it interesting that um, um, Sheridan started with that story of the junior school, the girls feeling full of agency and the senior school feeling a complete loss of it. And, And then this student leader coming back and providing leadership in what she said, she became a leader of that process and a sort of legitimizer of it. Isn't isn't that interesting that that's sort of what happened to that? And then I'm very struck by Louisa's story about momentum, because one of the one of the classic things that happens 
there are a couple of things that happens. I mean, one is Tracy's story, which is how do you stop it just being a project? Oh, that's service learning. It's over there. We do that there. How do you stop it just being over there and how do you spread it? And then Louisa's story, which is how do you, how do you prevent it all just getting lost in let's plan it a bit more or let's think it through or do a bit more search or wait till we've got the perfect moment or what have you. And the bravery of just jumping in and starting and not waiting and learning in action and modeling that and being prepared to do that. Um, and so building up momentum and credibility from, from that process. And that is possible. And actually back to the, the story of teachers as agents, you know, trusting yeah. teachers, trusting teachers to develop good practice and to learn and wanting them wanting to learn, wanting to find new and better ways of working. Um, so yeah, I think they're really powerful stories because they are about real world innovation in real world settings, often in the context of quite strong cultures, but showing you can change from within a strong culture. Yeah. Fantastic. Man, I'm really interested in this idea of, I think you speak about this, Charlie, not a strategic plan, but strategic intent. And you know, that, t- t- that makes the pace able to be accelerated in some ways because you don't need to have it all written down. You have the intention, you know, like a good learning intention, you follow that. So I'd love from any of you here just to open it up. What's a moment that really surprised you where you thought, oh, we didn't expect that to happen? And I mean, it can be positive and negative. Um, you know, every challenge is an opportunity, as we know. I'll jump in. Um, it's Louisa. Um, what surprised us was that we, we chose to start with year seven and ten as the entry points to middle and senior years. Right. And um, so we, we taught our year seven students the language of their, of their capabilities and we provided them with this new language and we provided them with profiling tools. And then we tasked them, which, which is not an unusual thing because lots of primary schools are doing this, so, but it's not very high school mm. uh, in terms of its culture, but we tasked them with the responsibility for leading their parent-teacher conversation. Mm which we call learning conversations. So, you know, we basically set them up, we prepared them. They've been prepared at several points throughout their time in Year 7. Um, so it wasn't just a let's prepare for this because it's next week. So they've been working on this all the way through. Um, and they absolutely stepped up. They're 12 years old. They stepped in, they stepped up, and they led those conversations absolutely beautifully. So we knew from the get-go that the, the fear around jumping in and trying things without necessarily being perfect about it um, we didn't need to worry so much about because the student engagement was instant. Yeah. So we we took great heart and courage from that. That's that's fabulous. Um, and I think it links in, Sharon, to that point as well that we've been discussing as a, as a trend of how, you know, adolescents kind of feel like they give, the agency is taken from them or they inadvertently give it away or something like that. And that's, that's a wonderful way to think about a practice um, or a product that changes in terms of teacher parent. Yeah, parent-teacher conference becoming a learning conversation. Yeah, I love the way that your students sort of took hold of that mm-hmm. um, and the way you told them, the way they made it their own. And I, I saw that happening throughout our school as well. So as we created these cards, mm-hmm. what ended up happening was initially we'd given the cards to teachers to help with their planning and preparation. But then we saw the real shift happen when we gave the cards to our Year 12 cohort and they were pulling them out in class. When they had a question or when they were faced with something unknown, they, you know, in an economics lesson, looking at data regression analysis, someone would glad and come and say, why did you see think wonder about this? And that led to a half-hour conversation about the data and ended with this beautiful wonder about, well, I wonder how this connects to everything else we've been learning so far this term. And so giving them the strategies to own that learning was really powerful. And in the end, that's the way that we managed to get the most teacher buy-in was having our staff understand that it's not necessarily about radically changing your teacher practice. It's about making what you always do and always have done implicitly explicit so that the students can actually take control of it and do it themselves. And, you know, it sounds like you've had the same experience we've had in that um, suddenly the conversations around learning mm-hmm. that students have with teachers or that teachers have with parents or students have with parents moved completely away from grades and mm-hmm. performance 
and totally into the realm of characteristics, dispositions, attitudes, and learning rather than performing, which, mm-hmm. you know, is a win. Fantastic. A huge win. I love it. Tracy, what about you? Anything surprised you? Where to next in this work? Um, it's more exceeding expectations that I want to chat about. So you yeah. mentioned Lesson 5, the role of teachers. Yeah. So I think ultimately we strive to support the development of change makers and young catalysts. And it's creating an environment, a high agency environment, where we allow students to do that. Mm. So I want to give you another example because I love the, the ground-based example. So yeah. this is basically a group of three students that took up an enrichment opportunity that was presented to them. And out of that, their opportunity infiltrated into the curriculum, junior school right through to senior school. So the example was the Andy Thomas Space Foundation Schools Challenge. Mm -hmm. So what was presented to these, this well, it was a group of three or eight students um, that designed and implemented an education project that focused on how space science can be utilised to address the United Nations 17 uh, Sustainable Development Goals. So basically, they focused their project on the Year 5s. They decided, let's involve the entire Year 5 cohort because in Year 5, in space science, you look at space exploration and necessity or, or an extravagance. Mm. So these girls basically ran a session with the Year 5s looking at the Sustainable Development Goals and then explored space technologies. Um, and NASA puts out a report on the spin-offs and, you know, how they can um, benefit society, etc. Wow. And then they decided to look at um, bring the outside in and that they engage with experts, you know, in community. Um, so they've got a space lawyer to come in. They've got oh, the right. director of the Weight Institute to come in and talk about, you know, plants in space. So there's current research on agriculture and the application space environments, which blew the kids' minds away. They then, <laughs> we, there was, when effectively inside out, we took them all to the Australian Space Discovery Centre, right. which is a very new, really innovative space at Lot 14. Mm. Um, and then the exciting bit was basically these year fives generated these posters on linking, you know, space technology to the Sustainable Development Goals and how we have a shared responsibility um, to achieve these goals. As young citizens, we should be contributing, not waiting until we leave school. And then the Year 5s actually hosted a career expo for the Year 10s because, mm. as you know, in Year 10, you're doing a subject called Personal Learning Care where you're looking at career pathways. And they had this authentic audience. So they were designed by three-year-eights, the entire Year 5 cohort had an authentic audience of 150 Year 10s telling them about the space, you know, opportunities, space career opportunities, which was fantastic. But wow. now back to the original question, what surprised me most? Yes, I knew everyone would learn about the sustainable goals, you know, different career paths, et cetera. But what excited me was the impact on the teachers. So we kind of turned, for starters, we turned that buddy system mm. of, you know, instead of the big older kids helping the little yeah. younger kids, yeah. we turned it on the head. Um, you know, the year fives were educated in year tens, but the teachers were blown away. So their idea is now embedded in the curriculum going ahead. Mm. But also we had senior school teachers come down and were blown away by the year fives you know, innovative projects that they've actually written them into, you know, senior biology, senior chemistry, et cetera. So that sort of surprised me, you know, and, and that's just one example of, you know, what student agency could do within schools if you just give it the room, if you create the environment for yeah. agency. I, I love that, you know, and I think this comes back to a point you made, Charlie, as well. It, it's, it's not allowing it to be kind of nested mm. as a discrete project over there. Yeah. It's, it, it feeds into curriculum, the core business yes. of the school, yes. which I think is yeah, I mean, at the evolution of a school culture and the way the school, you know, the arrangements mm. of a school, Charlie. Um, John, anything from you to add to this piece around um, anything surprised yeah, you? Yeah, well, next? what's surprising and delightful are the uh, little pockets of cultural change that you see developing in year levels mm. um, and how uh, durable they are and, um, you know, in terms of talking about uh, bottom-up change, that's certainly where um, where you see it and... and uh, you know, I don't see everything that goes on in, in every classroom, but when I'm out and about or I get invited to something and, and there you'll find a lovely project where, the, um, for example, the Year Sixes have a business fair mm. um, and the children uh, just seem to be uh, doing more complex um, and more quality uh, offerings uh, that uh, ultimately will be uh, bought by their peers. Um Another area is in our nature play program, okay. uh, which back when I was little in the 
1960s was just called play. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's good um, representing there, Jonathan. <laughs> so um, uh, the, the year threes have Tat Towns, um, which is a, a play area, and they you know they have quite a bit of uh, independence in what they do in Tat Town and uh, trading uh, for uh, materials. And also recently, we've just bought a whole lot of um, uh, planks of timber and put them out in the playground. And there's a lot of interest um, uh, from the children uh, in that. Um, and but it's a bit of a risk uh, to take. Um, mm. uh, but um, you know the children are really running with it. So mm. a nature play or play, um, you know, has really developed over the last few years, um, and that's. That is an area where students have quite a bit of agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful, John. Yeah, this, I love this line. You know, nature play used to be called play uh, <laughs> once upon a time. Charlie, um, before I go and ask the final question around a piece of advice to each of our practitioners, what do you want to reflect on? Quite a lot of great stuff there again. Yeah, I think one of the really strong things is um, is that, uh, often with innovation, users do much more with something than the producers of the innovation thought was possible. So, you know, there's a long history of in- inventors of innovations underestimating what they've invented. So famously, um, Edison thought the telephone would be used by people to listen into live performances of um, plays, or, you know, he thought that the recording industry record would be used to record conversations on telephones because uh, that was what was used with tape on um, telegraph machines. So constantly what happens with innovation is innovators innovate and then if it works, actually what happens is the users of the innovation show that there's much more possible than was first anticipated. So when Tracy um, talks about sort of exceeding expectations, that's a really important process here because what's happened with all these schools, I think, is they've done stuff, then the students have picked it up and the students have shown how much more could be done with it. And the question then for the staff is, do you just turn your back on that or do you go with it? And it's very difficult to turn your back on it. Once you've seen it, it's very difficult to turn away from it and say, no, we're not going to go in that direction. So there's this sense that I think that um, particularly strongly, you know, in what Louisa and Sheridan have said of this sort of moment of student engagement of sort of taking a different perspective, almost walking through the door and being pulled by the student sense of pull. So, Innovation very rarely works when it's a kind of push activity. We've got this new thing. We'd like you to do it, and we're going to push it at you. It only works when it becomes a pull thing. It's so attractive that people are pulling it out of your hands. You know, I, in my long career, which stretches back at least to when John was a kid. Um, Actually, you can tell when something's successful. It gets pulled from you um, because people really want it. So when those students at Wolford pick up those cards or when those uh, students at Endeavour take that learning conversation, take that opportunity and do something more with it than you thought was possible, that's pull. And so innovation needs to generate this sense of pull, but school leaders need to be... Um, confident enough to allow that to happen and and that's often where you get the limit put on which is oh no we can't allow that to go any further it's okay over here but we can't you know the, it'll be chaos won't it if we allow that to become the principle of learning but actually it's pull not push is the underlying principle that's a wonderful reflection there all right, team, uh, let's just get a piece of advice from each of you. What would you want to share um, to another school, to a team of educators, to learners that wanted to undertake this work? Uh, and Sheridan, we'll start with you. Thank you. So the first thing that we felt was really important as our piece of advice was to build your team and to trust your team. And so you only need a few like-minded people to be able to make change. Um, but you need to be able to be supportive of each other, but also to be that critical friend and question each other. Play to your strengths as part of that team. And so, for example, if we haven't had our amazing design technology teacher on the team, our cards 
would not have looked so beautiful and might not have had the take-up that they did. Mm. Um, the second thing is to keep it tangible. So for us, being able to visualise the work made it come to life mm. and our cards aren't the be-all and end-all, but they're a symbol of what we wanted to see happening in classrooms. Mm. And so making it tangible mm. in that way, we've actually seen it come across. And our greatest ally in that, as we found out, was the students with that cool factor and just letting it go with it mm. and let them take the agency and be in control. Fantastic, Sharon. Thank you so much. John? Um, well, from a leader's perspective, um, Everyone comes with their own mental model of how things should be, and mental models can be very strong. Um, so I would um, encourage the leaders to be mindful of that and to um, be open to other models. That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very profound, actually. You know, so it underpins everything else that we do. Uh, Tracy? Fabulous. So my suggestion would be to shake things up. So become comfortable with intentionally being innovative and creating change. So staying in your default setting mm. is obviously the easiest thing to do, but it's not going to be nearly as invigorating as being innovative alongside your students and creating positive change. So it's going to take effort to get started. Um, and, you know, I've just got this mental image in my head of this, the ship steering towards, you know, this iceberg um, because schools <laughs> have been steering ships in the similar direction for centuries. Mm. So changing course and shifting the inertia is going to take effort. But it'd be well worth it when we better prepare our students for the challenges that lie ahead for them. Um, so just being vulnerable, like uh, Louisa was saying at the beginning, you know, just let let the control go. Um, and student agency will grow. It will gain, you know, inertia. Um, the pull will happen. Um, so basically just creating an environment for agency. That's mm. my suggestion. That's great. And Louisa? Um, I think if it's important to be very, very clear about, about how your project or how your idea is adding value to your school culture. Super clear. Because if that's super clear to everybody, then you're going to get good buy-in without trying so hard. Um, I think try to avoid projects that look like they're isolated from people's everyday lives in schools and connect everything you do to your school's vision and communicate that clearly and to your school's strategy because all schools have vision and strategy. And if we stray too far away from those things, I think we're in danger of of losing um, the very, very creative and talented staff mm. who are needed to pull this thing along. And finally, be brave. Just be brave. Just try things and do it, knowing that everything we're doing is for the benefit of the students. Mm. And if we hold to that, we can't go wrong. Yeah. Charlie, final word from you. Yeah, I think those were really brilliant summaries, really, of how to go about practical innovation in practical settings and to work with what you've got and to open up um, new, open up, I suppose, new sources of energy within the school, energy and possibility and, and being brave enough to, to uh, know that and this sense of creating a framework within which that energy can emerge. And um, one of the things I think stands out about um, these schools, and I'm struck by Tracy talking about being prepared to be discomforted, is not being put off when you get um, some pushback or you find some discomfort. Um, but as Louisa says, very importantly, ground it in showing that you're adding value, you're doing something useful and interesting. It's not just airy-fairy. It's There's something there. There's tan it's tangible. It's visible. You can't turn your back on it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, really, um, really impressive, I think, real-world innovation. Fantastic. Charlie, thank you. And an enormous thank you to the four of you for coming in here, Louise, uh, Louisa, Tracy, John and Sheridan. It's been wonderful to hear your stories. And thank you for listening to Episode 8 of this special series on Learner Agency. 